Pet Cemetery 1989 with J of the Dead. In this episode, J of the Dead explains why Pet Cemetery may be the most perfectly balanced horror movie ever. And he'll explain why Zelda remains one of the most terrifying creations in all of cinema. And for this one, remember, sometimes dead is better. <laughs> sometimes dead is better. Hi, this is Jay of the Dead, the host of Horror Movie Podcast. It's an honor to be a part of Spooky Flicks Fest 14. Thanks for having me. The film that scared me the most as a kid and still scares me most today is Pet Cemetery from 1989. And although it's not my all-time favorite horror movie, in many ways I think Pet Cemetery may be the ultimate horror movie because of the broad spectrum of horrors presented in the film. You could actually call this a kitchen sink horror movie or maybe even a cafeteria horror movie because you get a little bit of everything. And I'll expound more on that in just a minute. But Pet Cemetery was released back on April 21st of 1989 and supposedly George Romero himself was originally slated to direct. But when the filming was delayed, he dropped out. And I've heard that Tom Savini turned down the chance to direct this film, perhaps due to some scheduling conflicts. But that's okay because Pet Cemetery was ultimately directed by Mary Lambert, who's a female director with an eye for the macabre. She does a great job here. And of course, this movie is based on the 1983 horror novel written by Stephen King, who also wrote this screenplay. And I think it's noteworthy that Stephen King has said that Pet Cemetery was the only novel he wrote that really scared him. So this movie is a good example of a filmic adaptation that's pretty faithful to its creator's original vision. The IMDb trivia says that Stephen King was on set for most of the shooting, and it was shot on location about 20 minutes from his house. And what's cool to me is that it was shot in the same area where the novel is actually set. So all this to say that the movie is pretty authentic according to his vision of the original source material. And like his story Cujo, this film Pet Cemetery was inspired by events in his real life. And I guess it was back in 1978, he went back to his alma mater to teach for a year. And during this time period, his family rented this house that was next to a busy road. And this road was infamous for killing pets. So the kids in the neighborhood had created a pet cemetery that was located pretty close to Stephen King's house, apparently. Well, his daughter's cat was hit and killed on the highway, and they even had a close call with their little son who almost ran out into the road. So... A lot of the little girl's dialogue in the story comes from things that his daughter actually said while grieving over her cat. And there was also an elderly neighbor that lived just across the road. So that's the background for the story of the novel and of this movie. Here's the basic premise to the film, and I won't reveal any spoilers. The Creed family has just moved from Chicago to a small town in Maine. Of course, it's Maine because this is a Stephen King's story. 
And their new home is situated beside a country highway where big semi-trucks, tractor trailers, barrel down the road day and night on their commercial trucking route. And because of this dangerous highway, many pets have been killed over the years requiring a pet cemetery nearby. Well, the Creed family consists of a father, mother, two young children, and their cat. And when their cat is inevitably creamed by a passing truck, a kindly old neighbor shows the father a dark secret. If he buries their dead cat in the Indian burial ground beyond the pet cemetery, then the cat will come back to them, alive again, or at least reanimated, thus sparing the daughter the grief of losing her pet. But the problem is, when you bury something in this burial ground, it comes back again, but is not quite the same. So that's the basic premise, and it's safe to say, clearly, that it doesn't stop with just burying a cat. Human trials are inevitable. <laughs> so, one of the major underlying themes in Pet Cemetery is the idea of trying to cheat death. This is a common trope in horror writing, and one of the best versions of this concept is the short story called The Monkey's Paw, which I highly recommend if you haven't read it. Check that out from your library this Halloween and read it to your family. It'll freak them out. Anyway, the Pet Cemetery story riffs on this same idea that trying to rob death of its victims results in abomination. And so I want to highlight what I think is the masterstroke of this film and just truly brilliant directing. Because the highway is such a major component of the story, and I mean it actually serves on the level as a character, and it is responsible for the inciting incident. And although a dual or a double inciting incident doesn't exist as far as I know, I would even say that this highway is responsible for a secondary inciting incident, although, again, that's not a technical term, but... The director, Mary Lambert, punctuates the entire film beginning to end with the trucks flying past the house on this highway. Now, there are several conversations about this road as well, which is effective, but we actually get to see it depicted cinematically many times. And so, you know, the objective of the cinema is to show, not tell. Well, Mary Lambert reinforces this by doing both. And because she shows it throughout the film, like beginning to end, it actually strengthens the entire structure of this story. You could actually almost watch this film and use the passing of the trucks for a drinking game and have a pretty good time. Now, the aspect that makes Pet Cemetery my all-time scariest horror movie, to me at least, and the reason that it still freaks me out today is a character named Zelda. And if you've seen this movie, well, let's say it this way, everybody who's seen this movie <laughs> feels the same way. We learn about Zelda through the wife's backstory. Now, the wife's name is Rachel, and she's played by Denise Crosby. And we learn that when Rachel was only eight years old, her older sister, Zelda, was dying a long, slow, horrible death from spinal meningitis. It mangled Zelda and made her nuts, like literally insane. And Rachel's idiot parents would leave little Rachel alone to take care of this dying sister, and so the subplot serves a couple of purposes, but its major purpose is to provide some depth of character for the mother and give us the reasons for her screwed up perspective on death. But these Zelda sequences end up being the most horrifying aspects of the film. And as I said, they scare me today. I just rewatched this last night in the middle of the night and my whole body was just filled with chills. So 
thanks Joel and Jason for a very tough night for sleep. Now, you don't know this about me, but one of the things that scares Jay of the Dead most is deformity. And I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be insensitive of any spooky flicks fest listeners who may be less than perfect physically. But when I was a kid, I would have nightmares about deformed people and they would kind of get in my face and stuff and it freaked me out. So anyways, the Zelda character is so thin and gangly and angly. You can see her rib cage and every vertebrae. And they actually cast a male, um, his name is Andrew Hubatsik, and they cast him in this role because they couldn't find a woman skinny enough for the part. And he's actually a stage actor, I guess, and he has some chops. He knocks this role out of the park. But it's not just the performance. I mean, everything about Zelda in these sequences are, are chilling and unsettling to me. This is where you have horror hitting on all cylinders. You've got a great freaky story. You know, this messed up story of these parents who leave this little girl to care for this dying sister. You've got great performances, as I've said, with um, the Zelda character and the narration of Rachel. Then you've got great production design, costuming and makeup, and you've got a great score. And all of these elements come together to just give you something that is just bone chilling. And I'll give you a sense of it with this clip here where you'll hear Rachel telling her husband about Zelda. My sister Zelda, she was in the back bedroom like a dirty secret. And that's what she was, a dirty secret. I had to, I had to feed her sometimes, I hated it. But I did it. We wanted her to die, we wished for her to be dead. It wasn't just so she wouldn't feel any more pain. It was so we wouldn't feel any more pain. It was because she started to look like this monster. Even now, I wake up and I think, is Zelda dead yet? Is she? (laughs) Okay, so there are three Zelda-centric scenes, and they get increasingly more upsetting. In the second sequence, she abruptly sits straight up in bed and it makes me want to run out of my skin, so watch for that. Then in the third sequence, the director exploits our viewer's association with the camera where we identify the camera's perspective as our own and they also employ this psychological phenomenon known as approach aversion. So Rachel peers into the entrance of the bedroom and the camera... And we assume Rachel's perspective looking into this room. And Zelda is hunched down in a ball on the floor across the room. And then we see her get up and scurry over toward us aggressively. And it just scares me to death every time. I recently learned why this scene is so potent. Behavioral scientists at the University of Chicago and the University of Wisconsin-Madison did a study where they found that we have negative emotional reactions to anything moving toward us. And not just threatening things like grizzly bears or Zelda Goldman, but even seemingly benign objects like letters of the alphabet or emoticons like smiley faces. (laughs) They also found that sounds growing louder as if they were getting closer elicited even worse feelings. Now, this third Zelda scene has both her physical presence moving at the camera and her volume increases, so it's absolutely brilliant horror cinema. 
And finally, one last thing on the Zelda stuff, which I discovered on just this last time rewatching it. In the hallway at Rachel's house outside of Zelda's room, you can see these very odd paintings that depict these cherubic or fat-looking short people, almost like pudgy children or cherubs. Anyway, I would assert that this stark visual contrast to Zelda's impossibly skinny body and then seeing these chubby people paintings kind of amplifies our freaked out perceptions of Zelda, even if we only notice them on a subconscious level. I think they're still affecting us, and this is also brilliant. Now let me just take a moment here in this review to make an important distinction. Now the definition of horror, according to Merriam-Webster, for example, is a painful and intense fear, dread, or dismay. Also, an intense aversion or repugnance. This Zelda Goldman character is an example of visceral horror, that painful and intense fear and dread, which is very on the surface. But as I said, there are many types of horror evident in Pet Cemetery, and for me, the strongest form, the type that haunts me and stays with me, is much more insidious, and it falls into that intense aversion and repugnance category. What I'm speaking about is there's this heart-sick scene that's only about 60 seconds long, but you'll never forget it, It's a social faux pas that reaches horror movie levels of awfulness, and it's typical of a sicko like Stephen King to write something like this. The scene takes place at a funeral, and something unthinkable happens, and the dead is disturbed, basically. I mean, there's sad stuff, and then there's this, which just goes right through the floor of sadness and keeps on falling down. In this scene is another fine example of how horror happens to those who deserve it least. And this terrible incident here significantly contributes to the tone of dread and uneasiness that pervades the movie. And again, even though it's only one minute long, I think it's my favorite scene because it's such an emotional gut punch. Pet Cemetery is an effective horror movie and a scary one because it has a great story concept. I think that's really the key here. And in fact, it has these little horror stories couched within the larger premise. You've got the Zelda subplot that I talked about, and you get these other little tiny horror tales that I've named satellite stories, that's what I call them, because they're only peripherally related to the main plot line. For instance, we get a great little tale about the elderly neighbor's dog, Spot, or we get another story about this hometown boy who served in World War II. These are tiny horror stories that spring out of the primary narrative, and I just love that. One could argue that Pet Cemetery is technically a zombie flick, at least according to horror writer Glenn Kay. He includes Pet Cemetery in his book, Zombie Movies, The Ultimate Guide, and the film never explicitly states whether those that return from the cemetery are actually alive again or just reanimated corpses, but I will say... There's some pretty unmistakable zombie behavior here, like chomping on the neck of a victim and eating the bottom lip off the victim's face. I mean, that's pretty zombie-like. Either way, it's unsettling because what happens in this movie is actually the antithesis of the common Christian understanding of resurrection. I mean, these bodies here are not restored. They are not renewed. However, they go into the ground, whether they're mangled or whatever. That's how they return. (laughs) So creepy. And as for the other performances, I mean, the man who plays the kindly old neighbor is actor Fred Gwynn. 
whom you'll recognize as Herman Munster. He absolutely steals the show. He gives the best performance in the film by far. And he's an interesting character too because the local old timer is usually the harbinger of doom in a horror movie. But this old man is kind of the troublemaker. (laughs) And unfortunately, the protagonist in this movie, Dale Midkiff is the actor. He plays the father of the family. He's just terrible to me. And I'm sorry, but he gives one of the most wooden and emotionless performances I've ever seen in a leading role. So that's one major gripe. Some other gripes about this movie. There are way too many instances of characters dramatically yelling, No! Right? I hate that in the movies. That worked for one movie and one movie only, and that was Al Pacino on the steps in The Godfather Part 3. Anyway, my biggest problem with Pet Cemetery, though, is that its most prolific killer, and I'm talking about the character who takes on kind of a slasher killer persona, a slasher type of role, is simply not menacing at all, and it's kind of ridiculous. And I should say that this film isn't above having a cat jump out and screech at the characters for a cheap jump scare. I mean, at least in this movie, the psycho cat is an organic part of the story, whereas usually it's just an inexplicable behavior that you never see cats do. <laughs> so even though Pet Cemetery is 25 years old, it still holds up pretty well, especially the gore effects. This movie has this head injury in it that looks absolutely real, and it's kind of hard to look at, to be honest. I was 13 years old when I first tried to go see this movie in the theater, but it got the best of me that time, and I actually had to leave the theater on my first attempt, thanks to Zelda. (laughs) My horror podcasting friend, Terror Tovey, had a similar experience, and he and I both believe that it's precisely all these different manifestations of horror that make this film such an overwhelming experience for people. We even compiled this list together at one time, Check out all the horror elements contained in this one ultimate horror film. In Pet Cemetery, you've got zombie cats and zombie people, evil twisted sisters, suicide by hanging, a grotesque ghost, a haunted house, two cemeteries, one for pets and one that's an evil Indian burial ground, grave digging and grave robbing. You've got horror compounded on top of profound sadness, And you've got a horror that comes just out of nowhere on a sunny, beautiful, idyllic day. You've got horror hitting those who deserve it least. You've got slashing and a slasher-type killer. You've got a cringe-inducing Achilles tendon injury. (laughs) You've got trucks killing animals and people. You've got clairvoyance. You've got needles. You've got some unthinkable family member deaths. You've got a stomach-churning makeout scene. You have abjection, castration, and you know that's scary. You've got themes of parents killing children as well as children killing parents. And you've got an evil kid movie. And the popular horror trope, which is reversing death with unseemly results. You've got gross encounters with a dead bloody rat. And then you've got dealing with bereavement and profound grief at the death of loved ones. So you could see what I'm talking about. I mean, how many horror films can you think of that have that many horror elements? Seriously, it's impressive. One other note before I rate this. Pet Cemetery is one of the very few, very rare Thanksgiving horror movies. It actually passes right over Halloween without making much mention of it at all. 
and it mostly takes place over Thanksgiving, which is cool because ironically, if our protagonist would just stop and recognize all he has to be thankful for and would just be grateful for what he has instead of what he doesn't have, then this story would not escalate so grotesquely for him. Anyway, I'm going to do something here that I never do, and that's change my number rating. The last time I reviewed Pet Cemetery with my friend Tara Tovey, I rated it a 7.5 out of 10, and I called it a rental. But I tell you what, after re-watching it again, this was like my sixth time probably, even again I found more things to appreciate about it this time around. So I'm actually bumping my rating up to an 8.5 out of 10. And I'm recommending that horror fans buy Pet Cemetery. It's a tremendous horror flick, and it covers a broader spectrum of terror than any other horror movie that I can think of. So it's an 8.5 out of 10, and I say buy it. And by the way, here's a random bonus recommendation here. There's a documentary by Errol Morris called Gates of Heaven from 1978, and it's about a real pet cemetery. It's not a horror doc or horror related, but it's truly bizarre, and it will be like nothing you've ever seen before, guaranteed. So that's Gates of Heaven from 1978. Anyway, once again, I just want to thank Joel and Jason and Pete and all my buddies there at Forgotten Flicks. It's an honor to be asked to participate in the 2014 Spooky Flicks Fest. And if you'd like to hear more from Jay of the Dead, I host Horror Movie Podcast over at HorrorMoviePodcast.com, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Happy Halloween and enjoy the rest of Spooky Flicks Fest. The soil of a man's heart is stonier, Lewis. Man grows what he can, and he tends it. Because what you buy is what you own. And what you own always comes home to you. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode from the 2014 Spooky Flicks Fest. And a special thanks to Jason Piles, a.k.a. Jay of the Dead, from the Horror Movie Podcast. Be sure to check out his stellar podcast at horrormoviepodcast.com and in iTunes.